Now, the third mandate is, I think, perhaps today the most important because it says, Hashem Ha'aretz and Meloah, the earth is Lord's, but Judaism teaches we're supposed to be co-workers, partners with God in protecting, preserving the environment. And um, in Genesis 2.15, it says that the human being was put in the Garden of Eden, we avda shamrat to work the land, but also the garden. So we're to be shomrei uh, adama, in effect, guardians of the earth. Other teachings like that show Judaism has strong teachings on protecting the environment, but the reality there is very far from that. And one reason is that in addition to trying to feed the people of the world, and that's projected to be 7 billion people by the year 2012, there are 56 billion farmed animals. And all the land we need for that, all the pesticides and all, very negative environmental effects. Now, one of them is, I think, the greatest threat to humanity today, that of global warming. And we're seeing the effects of that on almost a daily basis. And I can say that today because you've probably all seen this morning or last night what's happening in Los Angeles and California, those tremendous wildfires out there. And it's really a tragedy. Hundreds of homes just going in a flash almost. And one of the reasons for that is global warming, drying things out. There's been a severe drought in California, so much so that the Governor Schwarzenegger, no relation to my Schwartz name, but okay, <laughs> Governor Schwarzenegger has indicated that the wildfire season, which used to be just a few months, now is all year long. And we did have these wildfires, seems like a few months ago, and then it died down, but now coming back again. And as mentioned, the drought there, somebody has called this a century of drought that's hitting in many, many different places. Israel now has the worst drought in its history in the last 80 years. Thank God there's been some rain this year, but will it be enough to replenish the Kinneret, which is way, way down, main source of water, and the aquifers are being depleted. And Australia's had a drought for six, seven years. Many parts of the U.S., the whole area of Georgia, Atlanta, Many, many droughts. Now, also, we know other effects. We can't say one-to-one, but when you add them all up, all the tremendous storms recently, had Katrina a few years ago, Hurricane Ike, so there's more hurricanes. Things that used to happen every 100 years are now happening every 10, 15 years, and devastating effects. We still, of course, have not recovered from Hurricane Katrina in terms of rebuilding New Orleans. And more severe storms and flooding. We had that tremendous flooding in the Mississippi just a few months ago. You may remember Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And we know about the melting of the polar ice caps. The glaciers are melting, disappearing, and that can really threaten our water supply. Now, in addition, I know Rabbi Siegel just got back from Israel. Israel is especially threatened by global warming. We mentioned the worst drought in that area in 80 years they are projecting a temperature increase of from 3 to 11 degrees Fahrenheit increase. And that's very significant because worldwide, all the things we mentioned, the droughts, the flooding, the storms, the wildfires, all of that's been due to an increase of only about 1.5 degrees Fahrenheit. 
So you can imagine a 3 to 11 degrees Fahrenheit increase, how negative that could be. And, uh, you know, they're projecting, this is an Israeli Union of Environmental Defense report, that we know Israel is so dependent on rainfall, and that may decrease up to 30% in the coming years. And in a way, making it worse is when that rainfall comes, it comes like in uh, deluges, in a way. You know, so it's like an all or nothing kind of situation. In addition, there's a danger of the Mediterranean rising as the polar ice caps melt, as glaciers melt, etc., in different parts of the world, and that would threaten the majority of the Israeli population that lives in the uh, central plain of Israel. And this is a threat, of course, worldwide. There's actually an island in, uh, off the coast of India that was already inundated, flooded. 10,000 people had to abandon it, go to another island, which is also threatened. There's a nation of 1,200 islands and coral atolls, the Maldives, and they are trying to raise money to buy land on high ground because they fear as the waters rise that they could just, uh, all their islands could disappear. Okay, so tremendous threat. Now, how do we connect this to today's topic, animal-based diets? Well, this is an amazing, amazing fact I'm going to be giving you now. This is from, not the Sierra Club, not, not the environmental group, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization. November 2006 had a report entitled Livestock's Long Shadow. And they pointed out, it's an amazing thing, that animal-based agriculture emits more greenhouse gases in carbon dioxide equivalents than all the cars trains, ships, buses, trucks, all the means of transportation worldwide combined. Think of all the traffic jams you've been in, all the cars, planes taking off right now, and ships. All the means of transportation, it's 18% from animal agriculture, 13.5% from the transportation. Seems incredible, but the reason for it is animals give off a lot of methane, the digestive excretion processes from the manure, etc., and methane is 23 times as potent as carbon dioxide. So there's that multiplication factor. Also nitrous oxides that are part of the chemical fertilizer to raise the feed crops for the animals, that is also an important greenhouse gas. That's 296 times as potent as carbon dioxide. So it's very important, the cars we drive, how much we drive and all, but what we eat can be even more important. So again, Judaism has strong teachings, take care of the environment, but the reality is far from that because of raising 56 billion farmed animals worldwide. And another factor sort of related to animal agriculture is the destruction of tropical rainforests. And we know that half the species in this world reside there and they are disappearing, by the way. Uh, species are disappearing today at perhaps the fastest rate in history. We just read a week or two ago about Noah. Noah saving all the species. Well, today maybe we need a modern-day Noah because, for example, 25% of mammals are in danger of extinction. 
And there's a report that by the year 2048, our oceans may be almost completely devoid of many types of fish. Okay, so another important mandate related to the environment is that of conserving natural resources. Hashem has given us resources to use them properly, but not inefficiently in a wasteful manner. And the very powerful Jewish teaching on this is from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, which indicates that even in a time of warfare, we might think anything goes, the Torah states, you shall not cut down with an axe fruit-bearing trees, even in this time of warfare, to create battering rams to try to overcome an enemy fortification. And to me, one of the greatest things that our sages did is they took that very special law in wartime, trees using an axe, they made a general prohibition that we are not to waste or unnecessarily destroy anything of value. It's Baal thou shalt not waste or unnecessarily destroy, as the Hebrew term. And Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, the great rabbis of the 19th century, indicated that this could be violated, not just by completely wasting, but by using resources far more than is necessary or far greater value. So that is why we say that this relationship here, because... Animal-based diets require far more water, energy, land, and other resources. We mentioned that somebody has called this the century of drought. Israel, unfortunately, a very severe drought. And yet, animal-based diets require 14 times as much water as a strictly vegan, completely plant-based diet. 14 times as much. Most of that for irrigation water, especially in a semi-arid state like California. So we could save a lot of water by shifting to a plant-based diet. Uh, one study indicated that the amount of water to raise just one cow to maturity, that amount of water would float a naval destroyer. And making the situation worse, we're not just using a lot more water, we're also polluting that water. The amount of waste products from uh, the cows and other animals is really tremendous. One study said 130 times the amount of human waste is waste from animals, and they do not have sewage treatment plants. They're not paying even $1 for any treatment. So this is going into our rivers and streams and is a very big polluting factor. Now, in addition, we know energy is a very big issue today, and we're trying to get off. We're so dependent, unfortunately, on uh, Arab countries, other countries, and we require a lot more energy. Imagine if we had all kinds of orchards and plants here, and you know, if we ate those fruits and vegetables directly, compared to feeding the grains to animals, very wasteful, very inefficient, and it turns out now that it takes like 10 times more energy on an animal-based diet than on a plant-based diet. And it takes 10 calories of fossil fuel energy to create one calorie of food energy. Because think of the mechanization, the tractors and all, the uh, making the fertilizer, the pesticides, 
irrigation pumps, the transportation, the refrigeration, adding that all up, there's a lot more energy involved than just going over and picking some apples and strawberries and all the wonderful foods that God has given us for a healthy, nutritious, plant-based diet. Okay, now, the fifth mandate is that of helping hungry people, sharing with the hungry. The Torah indicates that farmers are to leave the corners of the field and the gleaning of the harvest for the poor and the needy. And before Pesach, we collect money from Ma'os Chitim to make sure that the poor and needy have the matzah and other necessities for Pesach. At the Seder, we say, let all who are hungry come and eat. And on our holiest day, Yom Kippur, when everybody might think, well, I'm fasting today and I'm in the synagogue for many hours, God could possibly not want more, we hear the very challenging words of Isaiah, who talks about what really is the true purpose of fasting, and he indicates that, among other things, we try to end oppression and share our bread with the hungry. And in Birkat Hamazon, our benching or prayers after eating, we indicate that God in compassion has provided enough for everybody. And it is true, however, so much of the grain that we produce is going for animals destined for slaughter. It's, uh, I may use the word amazing, it's incredible too often here, but that's what I really feel it is. Think of this, in a time when 20 million people worldwide are dying of hunger and its effects worldwide, when over 800 million people uh, about one in seven or eight are extremely hungry, malnourished, and in many cases starving. In the U.S., 70% of the grain that we produced is fed to animals destined for slaughter. 70%, and worldwide it's about 40%. Now, there's been a lot of criticism recently, and I think rightly so, about the fact that so much of our corn today... <coughs> other grains like soy is going toward ethanol. People are starving and we're feeding our cars, but that amount is only a seventh or an eighth of the amount that's going to feed farmed animals. And what really is uh, very important to realize about that is we're taking a food, a grain like corn and all, which is high in vegetable protein which is positive rather than animal protein. And again, a grain that has complex carbohydrates and much fiber, very positive, healthy things. And we feed it to an animal and we come out with what? Far less protein. It's like a protein factor in reverse, somebody called it. And virtually no fiber, no complex carbohydrates. And of course, a very high amount of cholesterol causing the number one cause of death in the United States, heart disease. So there it is. There is enough food. It can take up to 16 pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef if we consider the time the animal is in the feedlot. Because just like with every one of us, we're going to have a wonderful meal here, a lot of food in the next six months, say, but our weight stays roughly the same. We need that for our life's function. It's the same with the animal. When you feed that animal 16 pounds of grain, you know, that goes for the various functioning of the animal, and maybe it'll gain one pound. So it's very inefficient, 
at a time when hunger was such an important issue, and recently because of the ethanol and other things, there's been hunger riots in 30 different countries. You know, the prices have been soaring, and uh, you know, many things have to be done. One, one factor that can help is to reduce the amount of grain being fed to animals. So again, another mandate and the realities of the production and consumption of animal products violates that. Okay, the last of the six mandates is that we are to seek and pursue peace. We know that Judaism has many wonderful mitzvot. Most of them require a definite time and a definite place. Somebody can't say, you know, I really love the Pesach Seder. I think I'm going to have a Seder next week, you know. Well, Shabbat is so great, why do I have to wait a whole week? Wednesday I'm going to have a Shabbat. We know we don't do that because there's a time and a place. But when it comes to peace, it says seek peace and pursue it. And it's very powerful teachings related to that. Judaism, of course, is not a pacifist religion, but it is, I believe, what uh, Rabbi Albert Axelrad a Hill director at Brandeis said, a pacifoid religion doing as much as possible to try to keep peace, although realizing, unfortunately, that war is sometimes a tragic necessity. But we always have that prophetic dream that the nations should somehow finally beat the swords and the plowshares, the spears and the pruning hooks, and not study war anymore. Okay, so you can probably see the connection with health, with hunger, with the environment, but where is the connection vegetarianism with peace? Well, our sages saw that the Hebrew words for bread, lechem and war, milchama, they come from the same root. And from that they deduced that when there's a shortage of grain and other resources, people are more likely to go to war. And we saw that in biblical days, in the early chapters of Genesis where there were battles over water at the wells and today with regard to oil and even water today is a threat. So we know that when there's more than enough, people are not as likely to get upset when others may be taking more than their share, but when there are scarcities, it's more likely to occur. So there is this kind of connection because as we've mentioned, animal-based diets are very wasteful of grain, water, energy, land, other resources. This is why, if you pardon a bit of a pun, I say that the slogan of the vegetarian movement should be the same as that of the peace movement. Same slogan, vegetarian movement, peace movement. And what is that slogan? From John Lennon, all we're saying is give peas a chance. <laughs> So we have these connections because, and again, I'm not pretending that vegetarians are going to solve all the problems. In mathematical terms, it's necessary but not sufficient. Other things have to happen. Things are more complicated, but uh, it can make a big, big difference uh, here. And actually, getting back to global warming, and as I've indicated, animal-based diet is contributing quite a bit to that. 11 retired U.S. admirals and generals just in 2007 came out with a report indicating that global warming can be a multiplier effect for violence and war because they pointed out that unfortunately we're going to have more and more hungry, thirsty people, more and more refugees 
fleeing as they are in California right now, the wildfires and fleeing floods and droughts and disease and uh, severe storms and, uh, as we said, fleeing islands that are going to be completely inundated. And when that happens with a growing population, it makes instability and violence and terrorism and war more likely. Okay, before taking a few questions, and then informally later I'll be happy to take others. I know you have a great vegetarian meal coming up, so I don't want to put that off too much because they say a picture's worth a thousand words and a vegetarian meal is worth a thousand talks. So uh, <laughs> I don't want to wait too long on that. But as a quick summary, should Jews be vegetarians? Well, the ideal times in Jewish history, the time in the past, the Gan Eden, Garden of Eden, and the time to come, hopefully very soon, Messianic period, vegetarian. Hashem, God, designed us as vegetarians in terms of our physiology and our teeth, our hands, our uh, intestinal system, and our stomach acids. And we have these powerful mandates. So I believe that you should be uh, vegetarians because it's the most important thing you can do for your own health for reducing the incredible mistreatment of, of animals, and 95% of the animal abuse occurs on factory farms as compared to rodeos and circuses and other examples of abuses. And it's the most important thing you can do for the environment to reduce global warming, to use our resources sources more efficiently, to help hungry people, and to lead toward a less violent world more peaceful world, and also it's a way to solve, to help solve, because it's far more complicated, many of the problems that we have today, the severe problems, the energy crisis, because you need far less energy, the health crisis, because, again, we could reduce many, many cases of heart disease, cancer, and in some cases even reverse it on this kind of diet, we can reduce the global warming crisis and possibly help in the financial crisis because medical bills have been soaring and we know that prevention would be far less costly than um, trying to cure people. So I'm hoping this is the beginning. We're trying to start a dialogue on uh, should Jews be vegetarian? No, we're not coming out and saying you must. We're saying should. Thank God we have a free country, we have choice, but I believe strongly that individuals have choice, but as a society, uh, switching to vegetarianism is not only an important individual choice, it really is a societal imperative. Because I mentioned the greenhouse gases given off by animal-based diets, what makes the situation far, far worse. That same UN report I mentioned projects that the number of farmed animals is going to double by the year 2050. Meaning, for, I think twice as many animals, twice as much greenhouse gases. So, thank God, people like Al Gore and others are pushing for more efficient cars, use better light bulbs, but much of that will be negated by the increased greenhouse gases from animal-based agriculture. So, uh, hate to be too much of a prophet of doom, but the reality is the world today is heading toward an unprecedented catastrophe. 
Israel as we know it, the world as we know it, is not going to be the same in a number of years. Vegetarianism is not the whole answer, but without it, we are not going to have a world that we're familiar with. We're going to have droughts and wildfires and flooding and storms and rising waters, inundating things. So I hope everyone here will go out. I salute Rabbi Siegel for having this kind of program. I hope many other synagogues will have it. I'm uh, just about to shuver, not a uh, Torah scholar, but I'll be happy to have a dialogue with rabbis, get to the media to discuss this issue.